everyone and welcome back to Huskies on Tap, a podcast for the Huskies by the Huskies presented to you by the On Tap Sportsnet. I'm your host Brandon Suarez. You can follow me on Twitter at bdon300. Today I'm joined by my co-host Ethan Wiles, who can be found at Ethan underscore Wiles. We have an extremely special guest. Another week, another great guest. We had plenty of great news come to you this week, but let me check in with my co-host Ethan, and then we'll get started with today's episode. Ethan, how you doing today, brother? I have been good, Brandon. I've been banging return of the Mac for like the last couple of days. Now we are back. We're getting ready to play football here in a couple of weeks. We do have another big guest on. It's just been a lineup of great guests for us. And I'll let you introduce this one and get this episode going. Yeah, and before I get into introductions, I wanted to make a special shout out to our guy Joe over at NIU Athletics, Donna and Sean, uh, Mr. Sean Frazier for allowing me to sit in on the press conference on Friday. I learned a lot. I feel a lot more prepared about this season, but I'm pretty prepared for this episode. I'm ready to get it rocking. Today, we have a man on the show who knows what it takes to have a top defensive unit in the country. This man has had the privilege of coaching the game that he loves for over 20 years, and he has played an important part in many of his former players reaching the NFL. Huskies on tap, Listeners, I am pleased to present to you our defensive coordinator, Coach Derek Jackson. How are you doing today, Coach? I'm doing awesome. I appreciate you guys having me. We appreciate you taking the time to hop on the show. Obviously, with the news that came out last Friday, I'm sure everything is so busy right now. You guys are getting ready for a six-game season. The you know the news is out. Everything is getting back to normal. But I got to ask you, as you know, football coaches are more or less creatures of habit. How are you able to switch around your routine and attack the quarantine with all hands on deck so that your players are ready to rock come fall? Well, I think Coach Hammock really prepared us uh, from day one, probably way back when uh, the pandemic you know, first probably started to really take reality that it may put our season in jeopardy where we talked about doing a great job of trying to be communicate with our players you know, be transparent, be open and honest about, you know, every day. We don't know how this thing may shift, adjust, allow us to potentially maybe be able to play earlier, maybe get pushed back later, but really maximize the day. Uh, I think we have a great group of uh, players that uh, did an outstanding job, even though we've been disconnected in terms of uh, maybe face-to-face contact, you know, reaching out to try to push forward to keep gathering information about, you know, things that maybe we could have improved on from a year ago, things that maybe we want to do this year in terms of continually to educate themselves with the game. You know, I think from a conditioning standpoint, you know, who knows really where we're at until we actually, you know, see these guys and get our hands on them. But the time that we were able to do stuff with them, it seems as though they did an outstanding job of preparing themselves to, you know, come to what was going to be preseason camp in shape, you know, we had a chance to do a conditioning test when we first got here in the summer. And I think probably like 95, 97% of the guys passed it. The guys that didn't, most of them had an extenuating circumstance that made sense to us. Uh, We didn't think it was the lack of guys trying to do what we asked them. So I think the mental, physical, all the preparation our guys have done thus far is a testament to the type of young men we have in the program. And then Coach Hammock talks about, you know, adapt or die. So you know, we have to adapt every day to really what's a challenging landscape that we don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. So let's just maximize what we can do today. I love that quote. I'm a huge adapter die guy because especially in this year, you don't know what we're getting thrown. So you got to be able to be a chameleon, but go ahead. E. Yeah, I was going to ask you, bring up Coach Hammock. You're back on his staff. How did you end up here at NIU the first time? And how did we get lucky enough to get you back on such an exciting and such a talented coaching staff? The crazy thing was, I believe Thomas and I interviewed the same year 
back in 2004 for uh, Coach uh, Novak. So I think he had interviewed, I think, before me and had been hired on staff. I was at Eastern Illinois working at that time for uh, the, uh, the past uh, Bob Spoo, uh, you know, I think a Chicago Land legend as a coach and coached uh, uh, some great quarterbacks at Purdue, but he was very close with Coach Novak. I had a chance to come up here and interview two of the guys on their staff, uh, John Bond, and uh, who was the offensive coordinator, and Marcus Mosley, the receiver coach, had actually worked with me at West Point. I think it was three, two years previously, I was a restricted earnings coach, and we had been on the same staff. So, you know, I kind of came in here thinking that, like, I got at least two guys on my corner, and I'd interviewed, and on my way, kind of driving back to uh, Eastern Illinois, Coach Novak had called me to, uh, offered me the job, and, you know, when I got up here, I remember one of the things I did was try to, you know, get back in front of a lot of the guys on staff. And Coach Hammock had just finished GAing at Wisconsin, I believe. So he's younger than me, a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm. But I just kind of gravitated towards him as a person because he was so competitive. He was a phenomenal, you know, football coach. But he was a phenomenal recruiter. You know, we both, I believe, got engaged that same same uh, year. You know, to our wives that we really, I mean, my wife, you know, at the time met, moved out here. I was engaged to. His wife, Shanitha, had gone to school with him. So we just had so many things, I think, that kind of overlapped at the right time. And then I was here one year. I went to Michigan State. Thomas, I believe, stayed for three years before he left and went to uh, Minnesota. And then just, you know, we kind of always stayed connected and always kind of followed each other. Our families went on vacations together when we had a chance. We probably played as much golf as we could together. And he was a much better golfer than me, so I probably tried to play less golf. <laughs> he was kicking my butt too much, so I had to stop playing uh, golf uh, with him. Uh, but when this opportunity presented itself, you know, I was at uh, Purdue in a great situation there with the staff that uh, treated me really well. Head coach, Coach Brom, that was wonderful to me. And we had had some success. And Thomas said, I think I've got a great opportunity to get this job. And if I do, I'd love to have the chance to bring you along. And really a goal of mine was to have a chance to coordinate the defense and try to come back here and really win the championship because that was the thing that kind of slipped through our fingers. You know, we'd lost to Akron in the MAC championship game. Uh, I believe the last uh, 19 seconds of the game, uh, we gave up a lead and lost. And that probably was probably, you know, the one you know, pit in my stomach through my career of being that close to a MAC championship. And then we did not go to a bowl game that year because just the tie-ins were different. So. Uh, being as Mac West champs and staying at home was a crusher. And I told him, I said, I want to come back here and, you know, find a way to, you know, put that ring back on both our fingers. So uh, when the opportunity presented itself, I jumped in and, uh, you know, happy as can be to be a part of trying to make that goal a reality here in 2020. Yeah. And I think that's like such an admirable thing too, because like you said, you know, you and coach Hammock, you were, were you a GA at the time or were you, you had just gotten hired onto the staff and coach was a GA, you said. Yeah, well, so coach had just, he had been hired on as a GA from Wisconsin here full-time. And I had full-time. been hired uh, from Eastern Illinois. I was coaching the uh, D line there. So yeah. Of, so you guys yeah. like kind of stayed in touch for what, that's almost what we would say about 15 years. And, you know, he had his different stops in the big 10 and different conferences. You had stops at Syracuse, uh, Wake Forest, Michigan state. You spent a good amount of time at Purdue. So you guys were kind of all over the place for people, you know, I'm in the sport management program. So I know a lot of people that are working on becoming a GA. I myself would like to be a GA in the future. Can you speak to the importance of a role like that for a college student football player or not? 
as far as being able to make connections that can last a lifetime to where now, you know, you were a little bit younger, you met Coach Hammock, you worked through with Coach Novak, and now you and Coach Hammock are running the show. So I think that's a very awesome story. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's, it's amazing because, you know, you know, I was fortunate because I was connected with just so many good people in this profession, you know, and I think it all starts with you have to find people who will champion your cause. You know, you got to find somebody that gives you the opportunity, somebody that's willing to groom, mentor, and really kind of point you in the right direction, you know, give you enough latitude to be able to grow, but at the same time, be able to, you know, put you in check of when is the right time for your voice and when's not. And you don't look at that as a negative. And I think it's also, you know, trying to, you know, connect with every time I was on the staff to try to build relationships, I think with not just side of ball. I think a lot of people kind of, you know, cut off their nose to spite their face because they become, you know, a defensive side of the football can be a defensive side. The offense can be the offense, special teams can be special teams. Well, I've cut myself off from maybe six or seven other relationships. If I just look at it as I'm in charge of the defense, you know, I may be in charge of the defense, but I'm trying to build relationships with every assistant on this staff, every, you know, quality control coach we have, every GA we have, because you never know when the opportunity may present itself to maybe help one of these guys to further their career, or you be in position to maybe move forward and possibly because you have a great relationship and trust, bring one of these guys with you. And I think, you know, that's the unique thing about you see now is probably more GAs now get promoted to probably full-time positions a lot sooner than I think that the track record back when I was there, you kind of had to, you know, cut your teeth, maybe go, I think I was division two, so I was a restricted earnings in army, so one double A full time to here, where a lot of times now guys go from GAs to you know full time, whether it be Power Five or FBS schools, which you know that had not been kind of the trend. And then a lot more younger guys are getting more involved because they've changed some of the dynamics of you know the age requirement. Like you know, I probably you know in hindsight would not have been able to GA now. I was twenty, I believe nine, when I became a GA at the State University of West Georgia, which was a Division two school. Uh, for Glenn Spencer. And now I look back and I think they've kind of capped the age on there where I may not be able to have done that same road right now, which, you know, it was lucky then, but, you know, a lot of times, you know, it's why more young guys are getting more involved in the game, I think. I hope I'm not too old because I'm 26. So I hope you guys still got room for me over there. I think, I think you're still you're still in that uh, that, 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 that that meat and potatoes area. <laughs> Perfect. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. One thing that you brought up was, you know, group of five, power five. You've seen both. You've coached in both. You played at a power five school in Duke. Can you explain some of the advantages or disadvantages that you feel you have here at NIU being a group of five school and one of the better known and more productive schools in this area? Well, I think that it still, to me, went back to, you know, it's evaluation of players. You know, I think sometimes, you know, you can lose sight of really good players because you get caught up in some degree, you know, I call it the star challenge, you know, uh, you're at a power five school. So everyone's ego to some degree is to have, you know, the best recruiting class in the country, you know, and again, it doesn't mean because, you know, a team gets 25 stars doesn't mean they recruited well or poorly, you know, it's all your evaluation. And do you trust it? Do you believe that you're recruiting people that fit your style of play on offense, defense, maybe fit the profile of what you're trying to build in terms of, 
the program dynamics. And with that being said, it's do you trust yourself as a coach? You know, a lot of times you take maybe guys that are, I think here, maybe raw or underdeveloped, who you think have the chance to become guys that have five-star talent, five-star ability. They just don't have it right now. You know, they just weren't prepared. You know, they're maybe not as, you know, developed physically. Maybe they've played less football. Maybe they played football in an area where, again, the competition level, they did really well, but people looked at it as, well, who were they playing against? Well, they can only think they can't control that, but they were very productive. So I think that, you know, Thomas, and really to this staff, you know, the one thing he's really kind of reminded me of daily is, is you never stop evaluating, you know, whether it's your current roster, whether it's people that we've recruited, whether it's people that we're trying to recruit, it's every time we get a chance to evaluate these guys, that's more information to gather to hopefully point us in the right direction to making the correct decision, or it may steer you off a decision because you've gathered more information. I think, you know, we have more time, I think, to evaluate. You know, we probably watch guys play into their senior seasons where I remember when I was at, you know, the power five level, it became more challenging because the calendar just has moved so much more. You saw so many younger guys getting offered. It doesn't mean they're not really good players, but you're making decisions with less information where the goal hopefully is to gather as much information as possible. So, you know, that's why it's even, you know, challenging this pandemic where a lot of people aren't playing now, you know, it's, you know, the information just isn't there. So the evaluations become the guys that can do it the best are probably going to have the most success in these classes. Do you take those like evaluations now? And especially with the fact that teams, especially in the state of Illinois have not been playing and won't play until the spring. What is the evaluation now? Like, is there, you know, in-person evaluations, what are you looking at now? Is it more of like a character thing, off the field thing right now? Uh, what are you guys looking at in terms of the high school athletes that are missing out on their regular fall season right now? I, I think it never changes and we still want to always evaluate the person first. Uh, our, our mantra here, which I'm sure you guys know is the hard way, which is we're not going to change who we are. You know, we're going to be a blue collar. We're going to be a physical, aggressive, attacking style program in every facet of what we do you know we uh, i think really appreciate that kind of you know perception of being you know an underdog that people don't expect great things from and then it's like man they're always there and i think that's we want kids like that kids that have an edge on their you know a chip on their shoulder have an edge about them have a presence of somebody that takes it personal that maybe they didn't get looked at by school x y or z you know, maybe there was a kid on their team that, you know, perception was the better player, but they were the guy that was really the glue to the program. You know, they're the reason why they're successful. Their coach said they're the hardest worker. They're my best player. They're the guy that comes here early, stays late. You know, they, they're accountable. They have great leadership characteristics. I think you know, we look for all those things because we know we're going to be able to maximize what that person can be. With that being said, there's certainly a talent component that comes with that. So we look for, you know, I think certain physical traits. I think, you know, you look at the uh, last two classes we've put together and uh, there's probably more length in these classes. There's more size in these classes. You know, we wanted to change, you know, to some degree, I think the profile of, especially on defense of where we're at in terms of having more of a physical presence. So we wanted to get guys that were bigger and more physical looking that could develop into bigger, more physical people. We wanted to add length in the secondary. So I think you look at our, probably uh, our secondary classes, all of a sudden, you know, 
5'11 plus corners are more than norm in our program right now. Six foot plus safeties are more than norm, which doesn't mean that there's not really good players that don't have those physical traits, but that's something we wanted to address. And then we can modify that based on kind of how things work. But uh, I think we're always trying to watch, you know, as many sports as we can, you know, other sports, you know, as much as I love the game of football, I love seeing kids play basketball, play baseball, again, run track, you know, do more than just being sports specific because that means they're competing all the time. And, you know, Thomas says this best, competition never ends. So we're trying to find guys that always want to compete because it's not going to be hard to coach those guys because they're just going to be built in their DNA to go on that field and want to be the best they can be every day. Yeah. And that's one thing that I'm glad you brought up. I'm going to use a perfect example. So I, you know, obviously in show notes, I look up a lot of information. I go on your Twitter. I do a bunch of stuff and I'm going to use this example. So last season, Western Michigan down the stretch, virtually nothing to play for. It is senior night. So we'll give the guys that, but Dylan Thomas comes up, makes, you know, he strips the ball. McKelty falls on it. We end the game. We go ahead and win. It's small things like that that makes such a difference for a program. I saw a quote attached to the video though, and it was called Husky Havoc. Can you explain to our listeners what that kind of means to you and what that means to the players in the program? Yeah, I think, you know, we uh, went back and evaluated our season and looked at, you know, things that we felt we have to do in order for us to have a chance to win every game on defense. And I think there were five components that we said that we can do these things. We probably either gonna win a game or at least we positioned ourselves to have the opportunity to win. You know, uh, one of those things was creating two or more turnovers a game. So we look at that as, again, you know, obviously taking the ball away from the offense. Could be a fourth down stop. We still view that as a turnover because you're getting possession of the ball back. So, you know, two or more a game. Uh, we wanted to have seven or more tackle for losses a game. That would put you or would have put you last year, you know, in the top 25 in the country, statistically in that category. Uh, we wanted to have three or more sacks a game. Again, that's a number that, again, we looked back and saw that the teams that were able to accomplish that, I think 99% of them ended up having nine or more wins and or were in bowl games. So I think you could attribute a direct correlation to that equaling success. Uh, we wanted to be uh, hold our opponents to 33% or less on third down. Uh, that would have put you, I believe, in the top 25 in the country again last year. I think we were like 29th at like, I think 34 something percent. So, you know, we're probably a third down or two away from that. I think the only team in the top 25 that didn't go to a bowl game that was in that category might have been Northwestern, you know. So that, again, was something we said you could, like, put your hat on, gave you a chance to be successful. And then we talked about having four more three and outs in a game. So, you know, the uh, you know, Western Michigan game really is a perfect example because we had two takeaways in that game. We had, I think it was four three and outs in that game. So we took an offense, which was really explosive, and were able to basically minimize their possession. So one stretch, I think, and I think the end of the second quarter to the first drive of the fourth quarter, we had four three and outs, which really gave us an opportunity to keep the separation in the game and put us in position to where, you know, that play by Dylan, you know, uh, gave us a chance to kneel it out at the end there. So, I, but those were the five areas that we said, if we can hit those goals in every game, you probably are looking at a dominant performance. And again, if you don't hit them all, hitting the majority of them certainly has positioned you well. You don't hit any of them, then you're probably not going to be too happy with the results. You're putting a lot of pressure on the offense and or special teams. But we felt those were controllables on defense 
that if we went out there and executed, that we're going to walk away from a game feeling pretty happy about what we were able to do. Yeah, if you don't hit any of them, I'm pretty sure you get to practice on Monday. On the line, everybody on the line. <laughs> yeah, Coach, yeah, Coach Henry might put me on there too. <laughs> That's obviously never the uh, the best outcome for you, but Dylan Thomas, obviously a guy everyone's talking about on campus. So I'll put you on the spot. Who are three players on the defensive side of the ball to look out for this year you think is going to stand out this year or just three guys straight up who are looking to just ball out this season? So I'll hit a guy from each level to try to, you know, spread the wealth around. But I think, you know, uh, up front, we probably, you know, we don't have a ton of experience. So uh, I think, you know, we're going to need somebody young in that group to jump out at us. And I think we've really got, I think, three guys on the front line that need to jump out and have great seasons. We got two guys to tackle, young guys, uh, DeMond Taylor and James Esther, that we think were redshirt freshman a year ago that played in some games for us that I think have a chance to, you know, replace some guys and or have some wild plays that people are going to say, these guys are here for four more seasons. That's awesome. We've got a D end and uh, Ray Thomas that is a good looking end as I've seen in this league in a long time. He's probably all of six foot four and a half. He might be at 250 right now as a true freshman. So, I mean, this guy, I think physically is what we want in terms of somebody that can impose their will at the line of scrimmage. And we're going to need him to based on some of the things we lost there. So I think those three guys we're expecting to really, you know, have an impact up front. I think when you go to linebacker, probably, you know, the one guy that a lot of people talked about before I got here and probably got shortchanged uh, was Kyle Pugh. I think he was on a lot of lists, one of the top players, projecting one of the top players in this league. He got off to a great start for us in our first two ball games, got hurt, and then kind of everybody lost sight of him. I think he's going to have a season that, again, even though it may be abbreviated here, but he'll be one of the best, if not the best defenders in the MAC. I think in our scheme, with what we need uh, him to do, he has a chance to be dominant. Like he has a chance, I think, uh, you know, firm the year before I got here and basically played himself in position to be almost a Mac Devens player of the year, except Sutton Smith was blocking, you know, kind of log jam that position, kept him out of it. I think, you know, Kyle Pugh, we need him to have one of those type of years for us to be a high, you know, sack, TFL, tackle guys, and really the leader on our defense. And in the back end, I do think, you know, Dylan Thomas is a guy that he really is the cornerstone back there because he helped us out of a really troubling situation last year. You know, we had a lot of turnover at corner, had a lot of probably inconsistent play at times. And Dylan went out there. I remember in a pinch in the Toledo game, we kind of threw him to the wolves and he ended up having, I think it was a 12, maybe 13 tackle game where it probably felt to his mind, like he was getting picked on, but I've sat there and went back with our staff and said, we could not have won that game without Dylan Thomas going out there and making play after play. And even though some plays were given up, I'm like he gave us a chance to win that game by how consistently he played. And then he came back two weeks later against Western Michigan. I said, we don't win that game without Dylan Thomas being on that field for us. I think he built a lot of confidence from that. He's really taken over, I think, uh, leadership capacity uh, in the back end and with the entire defense. And he gives us flexibility because we know he can he really play either corner position. And we even kind of jokingly said, you know, he had really started off as a safety when I first got here. I said, you know, he really gives the flexibility to that. If I needed somebody to slide back there, 
because we have some youth is I could probably put him at safety to calm the defense down and feel comfortable that he would do the job necessary to give us a chance to be successful. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That's one thing we brought up with Dylan when we had him on the show. Absolutely love the kid's attitude. Never see him without a smile on his face. Like he's always just happy to get ready and get to work. He's a huge fan of the Honey Badger, and I, I can't wait until he gets his little blonde, his little blonde streaks in for the season. I'm excited for that. But I mean, just like the one thing that I really want to commend you on, because of all the players that left in transfer this year. A lot of them were on your defense and it's, we're not going to get into why they left or what, what happened, but for you to be able to recruit and have those younger players, like you said, coach hammock loves to recruit his own players, loves to keep, you know, the players that are in the program feeling like they belong. I feel like you guys are in a very good position to surprise a lot of people in the Mac. Like there is a lot of ballers on that defense, freshmen, sophomore, younger players. And I think you have a, you have the keys to the Ferrari is what I like to say. No, it, it's going to be, like I said, it, it's interesting because, you know, we, we joke all the time on defense. I think we have enough experience sprinkled in coming back. You know, up front, Weston Kramer uh, had a really good year for us. I think there's three times now he's been named uh, to the preseason all-MAC list. And I keep teasing him. I said, we need to get you on the postseason one. You know, stop getting, you know, you know, stop being the bride, you know, the bride maybe. We got to get you all the way to the altar. So, but he has a chance, I think, to have an outstanding season again. He's just more of a known commodity because, you know, he's been here for an extended period of time, but he gives us a guy up front that I think our young guys can rally around because he's the most experienced returning guy up front for us. You know, linebacker, you know, Lance DeVoe, you know, prior to probably a couple injuries, he was the guy that was, you know, really one of the three best linebacker corps. And then you look at, it was Lance DeVoe, Cal Pugh, and then all of a sudden, you know, Firm, you had three guys at linebacker that were dominant. Lance, when healthy, has the ability to do that. So our job is to try to find a way to, you know, I think the basketball, you know, guys call it load management. We've got to do a great job of load managing him to make sure that we can keep him healthy because when he's playing, he can play at a very high level. So we need him on that football field. And then Nick Routine, you know, came out of nowhere. He was, I think, playing safety at one point in our mind and then kind of got force-fed the linebacker, played every linebacking position for us. You know, he ended up playing uh, uh, Mike, Bat, and then our uh, rover position. Now we sell him in a Mike, but he played, you know, eight games and had a tremendous production. So we've got a lot of guys there and then some young guys athletically behind them. And then the secondary is just where outside of uh, Dylan, it's, you know, we have a lot of unknowns, but we have a lot of athleticism and a lot of youthful exuberance that we're excited that, we think we have playmakers. We just can't show you that we have guys that can make plays until we actually play a game. And we think those guys are going to do that and they trust our coaching and execute the way we think they will. Yeah, a couple things. One of the guys that I talked about a lot in the offseason was Mark Aitken. I think he's poised for a breakout year. One thing I wanted to ask you, because we haven't had to have Antonio, a.k.a. Firm, on the show, but two things actually it's one thing I'm going to tell you and then one thing I'm going to ask you but I don't know if you saw yesterday he is cleared and ready to rock as a UDFA so hopefully he can get picked up in the NFL would absolutely love to see that I know his agent has been working around the clock to make that happen since we haven't had firm on the show can you give us a little bit of a background on how he got the nickname law firm so I wasn't here when he got the nickname, <laughs> but the thing I can tell you is probably because he lays down the law I mean the first thing I would I, I would sit here all the time and they kept saying hey man you know uh I'm like, hey, what's, what's Antonio doing? Like, they call him firm. And I'm like, like, like firm muscles, firm, like, like, no, like, like firm, like the law. So I was just, you know, it was like my mindset was like, 
yeah, I bet he lays the wall down because, I mean, the guy played with edge, played with physicality, wonderful attitude, always had a smile on his face. He got injured. As we just looked at the play yesterday, we were kind of going through some some clips, and he was playing a tight end at Ohio U and went up for a ball, broke it up and landed awkwardly. But he never came back in this building without smiling. He never came back in this building feeling sorry for himself. He was around the team, encouraging guys. I mean, I've never seen somebody that probably lost more in terms of the season, and the kid was playing spectacular. Probably was on the verge of being an all-conference player, if not first team, had he not been injured. But you would never know that that was taken away from him. You thought that he was a guy that was still playing tomorrow, even though he was, you know, at times on crutches and or in a wheelchair. I mean, which uh, just a testament to the type of person he is. And again, I mean, I hope somebody does give him an opportunity because they will not be disappointed. We're definitely rooting for him over here at Huskies on tap as well. I just wanted to ask you going back because you, we talked about it. You are on your second stint. What are your top three memories here at NIU? So I probably, you know, the, the first one was, you know, winning the, the Mac West championship, my first season here, uh, because it was, you know, really playing that, uh, I think it was the first Mac title game. So it was the opportunity to, to go to Detroit, play for a Mac title, uh, you know, it didn't work out the way we want, but you know, that was one. I got engaged to my wife uh, here. So that was probably the most important day that I've had in my life other than us having our children. So that uh, we bought our first house we purchased here. So it was the first time I ever made a home buying decision. So those things there. And then I would say returning here, it was a, a chance to come back and, and work for work with Coach Hammock, you know, and I say this to people, you know, a lot, which is, you know, our relationship is very interesting because, you know, Thomas is one of my best friends, but he's on my butt all the time to where you probably maybe not would not think that. And to me, that's that's the right way it should be. We have a professional relationship that when I'm not doing something that he thinks should be done, he, he gets on me. You know, he, he doesn't, you know. Like, you hey, hear man, that, I'm Ethan? Gonna... You hear that? I was just, you, I was just about that, to buddy? say, it's the same way in the pod. <laughs> I was literally just about to say it's the same in the podcasting world. Brandon and I, we're obviously roommates here on campus, but, you know, outside of the roommate, we do have that professional, uh, the professional relationship. It ain't always easy. I know what you're talking about, Coach. I'll tell you that. I, I say this to guys all the time. It, it, it's probably the most challenging thing I've had to do as a coach because, again, as much as I love Thomas to death, there are times I don't agree with him. And I understand, though, he's the boss. And I've got to be able to, hey, you're right. I'll move on. There's a way we're doing things. And, again, he has a plan. That's his job. And like he said, you know, when you want to you know, do it your way, you become a head coach. And I agree with that. So I understand the chain of command there, but I also know he gives me the latitude to speak. He's like, you believe in something, speak. Doesn't mean I'm going to agree with you, but I want you to speak. I want you to give me feedback. He lives across the street from me. Like you can throw in like literally a baseball from my house and hit his house. So my daughter, we came home like two days ago, three days ago. And she's like, he's like hey, there's Coach Hammock uh, with Tierra and, and Thomas uh, Jr., his son out there. And she's like, isn't he your best friend? And she always said, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, he's like, I'm always like, he's one of my best friends because I try not to, you know, make it too rosy for her. I say, yeah, he's my best friend. So and she goes, she goes, don't you want to say hi to him? I said, I see him every day, Amana. You know, <laughs> then my, then my son's like, he's like, hey, you don't want to go and see Coach Hammock? I'm like, no. I just I, saw him all day. <laughs> I see him all day. And I said, I, then I go, I go, hey, and I go, you remember? I said, guys, you know, we still got to, you know, uh, 
the social distance and things and like that. So that's my excuse. I say, I can't go over there. We got a social distance, but really again, you know, I know where I stand with him. I know when I've done a good job. I know when I've done a poor job. I know when I'm not doing the things I need to do. And he always is going to hold me accountable. And that standard makes me work as hard as I can. So he can hopefully have the success he deserves here. We can have the success we deserve here as a program. And our kids can have the success that they deserve because that's all that matters. You know, I want these guys to be successful and have great memories of the place because I have great memories. I would not have come back here if this was not a place I had great memories and it meant something special to my heart. And if they didn't have the right guy running the program, which we do in Coach Hamilton. Yeah, and I think honestly that that just ties it all together for us. Like we already thought that this coaching staff was very tight knit and everybody, you know, kind of like if you've seen the movie Elf, E-L-E, everybody love everybody. I didn't know you guys were best friends. I do love to hear that. And I can see like a lot of like striking similarities in yours and Coach Hammock's relationship and mine and Ethan's relationship. But one thing I got to ask you, and we ask everyone, someone who's been here twice, you got one meal to get in this town. It's the last meal you can ever have. Where are you going? Well, I'm going to go to Fatty. Let's man, go. <laughs> you know, my man, you know, Jeff, Jeff, has been my man over there forever. So when Co- Coach Hammond and I first got here, I probably ate at Fatty's at one point, I would say six out of every seven days. You know, it got to the point to where he probably was tired of seeing me over there. And I don't think Jeff was the owner at that time yet. So by the time I came back here, Jeff is now, you know, the owner of it. And we laugh all the time because I probably between wings, the golf course, back to there for wings, it was like kind of like the routine because my wife, you know, at the time wasn't out here yet. So I had more free time with my hands. And then now I come back here and we sit and every time I'm sit there, I'm like, my, my daughter, again, she's, uh, I have twins that are 10 now. They're like, they're like, wasn't Patty supposedly like your favorite place to eat? And I said, yeah, it still is. I said, I mean, have it. I said, so. We just got to, we got to get you the, uh, the, the coach Jackson wing special on the menu at Fatty's. We just got to work with Fatty's and get that on the menu. And we got to get you a parking pass too. I, I, I pulled up one day and I told him, I said, I saw the spot with coach Hammock's name on there. And I said, I said, I said, man, I said, you got the head coach spot. I said, I need to figure out what I need to do to, to get Jeff to get me one over there. Where can we find you at on Twitter? Yeah. So it's uh, at coach underscore Jackson. So, so I must've been the first guy to use it, I guess, or something. Cause it was like a yeah. common last name, but just at coach underscore Jackson. I really do appreciate you on behalf of the on tap sports and Huskies on tap for joining us here on the podcast today. Today, we were joined by NIU defensive coordinator, Derek Jackson. He got into his relationship with coach Hammock, how he ended up back here at NIU and some of the other stints that he's had along the way. He's a very busy man. He's been coaching for 20 years. We are so happy to have you back on campus. And I don't think I really got anything else for you today, but we do look forward to continuing to build our working relationship with you, coach Eisenis and coach Hammock. And I got nothing else for you, coach. Appreciate your guys' time. Go Huskies. Go Huskies. Yeah. I got dreams of living laps in the kitchen whipping magic. I got dreams of living laps in the kitchen with magic. Bad bitch, bad habits. We got London on the track. Dirt, dirt. I ain't asked now for nothing. I took the heart away. Twelve put me over, coming with it. They took my heart away. Heart away. Heart away. Heart away. Heart away. Jumping in hard.